We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Feel like Kobe in the fourth quarter. This is the Dane Miller NBA Podcast. We're brought to you by ZoneCoverage.com and the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. It's Monday, March 9th. I'm joined here at the Timberwolves facility with Britt Robson. We were across the street yesterday watching. That was our first time watching Zion in person, wasn't it? Yes. It was. Um, I feel like has New Orleans been a team? Jim Pete said he's watched every single Zion Orleans, performance. Every single Zion game. Huh. That is... He's into him. He's into him. I, well, I think the whole world is. Well, I mean, I think our mutual friend John Meyer, who used to be at Canis Hoopus, is right, or is, I guess, still yep. at Canis Hoopus, is right in that he is not 100%. Zion? Yeah. I mean, he unless he runs that way as a matter of course. He didn't run that way at Duke. I think, but Culver's got it too. It's just this like weird sort of walk thing. Uh, I, this is a straight leg that shouldn't be straight at the. It's like the Tim Duncan dead leg sort of thing. Yeah, whatever it is, there isn't. Uh, his quickness is a pivot rather than a straight line. He doesn't okay. zoom down the floor. It seems to me. Um, it certainly isn't holding him back from being successful. I think it is. And I explosive. think I think it's holding him back from a, another six points and. Two or three rebounds a game. I I thought you know we talked about this at the beginning of the season. I thought they were going to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Then I backed off at the last minute. Oh, actually, I backed off after he got hurt. But um, back See when the Golden State had uh, Steph and uh, Clay, not Clay, but Steph coming back, I and said that they, I, I thought they'd finish ahead of Golden State. Uh, and the reason was is because I do think I don't follow college much, but it only took me like. 
<laughs> three games of watching Duke to know that this guy was going to be the most impactful rookie since uh, LeBron James, in my opinion. Now, since then, mm -hmm. I would say that Luka did not have as an impactful a rookie season, but I think the jury is out on whether or not Zion can get to Luka level. Um, Ever? Yeah. As in, if you were starting in a franchise like, today, you would take Luka over that, Zion? I don't know that for a fact, but I, I certainly – he would be in the conversation. John Moran would be in the conversation. I mean, starting a franchise today, now that's interesting because Anthony Davis is what, 25, 26? 27, I think. Oh, is he that old? Even so, you get eight years of Anthony Davis versus 12 years of somebody else. Um, well, or, I mean, you, you know – I think you can say 15 years of Luka. Yeah, 15 could be, years could of be. Of Zion, I mean, yeah, but even then, you know, if you retain him, though, that's the whole thing. I mean, the yeah, the Pelicans had Anthony Davis, and then right, right, right. You, just because you start a franchise doesn't mean you get your best player forever, right? As as we've learned, but anyway, I, I think, I think he is. It, it's just, it's such a different watch than any other physically dominant player in the league to mm -hmm. me, where obviously the, you know the dunks and everything jump off the page, but the the single attribute that I think is, is the most impressive and unique is his ability to work laterally in the lane and explosively yes. at the same time. Vertically and horizontally. He, he does this like, you know, you think of it like a traditional big man where they like power dribble into like right. a hook shot. Right. He can, he can find ways to power dribble from like the right block to the left block and but he up. is still very left-handed, it seems, despite all of that. Oh, I mean, it's... I uh, mean, what is funny, though, is you, you know he's going to his left hand, but because it is so dominant, his decent move to the right is very effective. Right. It's not, you know, invisible. It's not a terrible move. It's just not a move that uh, will work very well if you're playing him right, you know. I find it interesting... The two games that Nas Reed has played him, he's played him very well, well I think. I was going to bring up, we were talking to Nas in the locker room after the game while he was getting ready about. Hit uh, him first. He, yeah, he was He was like, he's not that strong. <laughs> and he was, he was serious. I yeah. mean, they're kind of, I guess they're kind of friends. Yeah, our friends. And, and you can tell that uh, Nas knows his game. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were a couple of plays where Nas was anticipating. Um, I mean, I don't think you block Zion's shot via a reaction i think you block zion shot when it's like about it's like about a, a foot and a half in motion rather than three feet in motion because if zion has got three feet head start on right. that on any shot i think you're gonna lose your wrist you know <laughs> i think he's very strong yes i i do too i think um i think what Nas was getting at and actually what i said to him was i was like well just like you you know, talk right. to him i'm like you're gonna, you guys are gonna get stronger. You're teenagers or 20 right. years old, right? Like, to me, that's the that like if we're doing the Jaw versus Zion sort of thing, and I think they're both gonna physically progress, right? But even if they both physically progress the same amount over the next five, eight years, Zion progression, I, I don't, I don't, I can't even really picture that. What if he if he gets much stronger? And, and faster than he already is. Like, what what does that even what does that even look like? Well, I think that what is great about actually both Zion and Ja right now is that they're surrounded by the right guys. There's a mm -hmm. reason why if both of them had started the season in October, they both would be in the playoffs of the Western Conference. Sure. I mean, that's 
that's a tall order. And, and not that the West is as good as it was in previous years, but it's not chopped liver either. And it's, it's I would say, from 6 to 11 is pretty deep, you know, is decent. Yeah. Um, Portland is proving me wrong on that almost by the day. I keep on thinking they're going to shake themselves off and get it into that A seed. But I think Memphis is, you know, working pretty hard at it. I yeah. don't Memphis have faith. Is 30, as we're recording this, Memphis is 32 and 32. New Orleans is 28 and 36 in the nine spot. Okay. And Sacramento's tied with them right there, too. Yeah, I'm not a Sacramento believer. Yeah, I mean, it, it, at this rate, it just seems like it's going to be Memphis as they kind of find themselves. Uh, or New Orleans, if if they learn how to defend, that's the other thing we found. I mean, the Wolves have played New Orleans twice in the last well, 10 days. That's what I was going to kind of get at next is the Wolves had so much success against the Pelicans and what, I mean, offensively, the Pelicans had no answer for D'Angelo Russell and the and the pick and roll. And then it appeared that they had every single answer for it. Um, yesterday when they were playing them, I mean, D'Lo couldn't get going at all. They couldn't get the pick and roll game going at all. And I just don't think that's an isolated incident because as the schedules kind of worked out, they also had, they played Orlando and then a week later played Orlando. Got snuffed. And, and I, I thought they played Orlando pretty well the first time. Yeah, they did. And then uh, they lost. But, they, 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 I mean, they both times it was snuffing out the fact that everything that this Timberwolves team does well comes is easily scouted is easily scouted because it's just a it comes from the point of attack mm-hmm. whether it's you know whether it's D'Angelo Russell creating for himself there or you know hitting the kind of Nas or James Johnson unless the they role. go two point guards mm-hmm. which makes does you know vary it I mean Jordan McLaughlin is making a case I, I have no idea what case he's making you know, <laughs> is he making sixth to seventh man case or is he making strictly backup point guard minutes case i don't know i do think that they should be able to be exploited defensively even more than they are now with j mac j mac's defensive rating is not great he he's impressive out there but i have learned that the eye test and defensive ratings have very little to do with each other on this team yeah i would agree with that I mean, it is really fascinating, and you and I were talking about it the other day over dinner uh, before the Wolves game. Nas Reed and Jake Lehman are the two guys that outperform the eye test by a huge margin mm-hmm. on defense, and both of them are system guys to the extent there is a system. I mean, to the extent that they stay home, they don't do anything wild and crazy, um, they're very rarely out of position. Which I think has, for me with Nas, has been a pretty uh, wild development for what I expected. Exactly. He, well, you know, I mean, all the Iowa guys, I've taken, you know, go right down the line, I've ripped every one of them and, and looked <laughs> foolish. I mean, it, I, I think with Nas, though, is you just kind of look at his character story, and he's a he's a high schooler two years ago, and he's a, the number 12 rated high school high schooler in the whole country goes to LSU um, gets ha- lost somehow. Get, gets lost has all sorts of questions you know about about discipline functionally whether it be perta- as it pertains to you know taking care of his body or whatever and so you kind of you kind of start shaping at least I did you know in my head this like bias or whatever that you think he's just going to be some sort of guy who is exclusively trying to get by on his talent and you know kind of god-given ability which I thought kind of for the longest time until this run when he's 
switched into being the starting center, which has by no means been perfect. No. But, but to your point, there's been there has been a fair amount of discipline, and I think that's that's shown learning, which was I guess a skill I didn't know he had. If there were no analytics, people would be crying for Johnson to be the starting center over Nas right now. Johnson is active. He's out there. He's making, you know, he's a lot of deflections, banging in three-pointers, running around, dapping everybody. He's like, everybody loves James Johnson right now. And his numbers are awful. They are awful. His defensive numbers are wretched, which, you know, no, he's 6'7", 240, you know, mm. and he's playing NBA center. Um, it's a very small ball center. Plus, he does not play the kind of NBA small ball center where he has a low center of gravity or something, he's gambling, um, which is, again, looks good when it works. Mm -hmm. And people forget, oftentimes when a player gambles, um, the bad result isn't as automatically direct. And so uh, I just finished a column that'll be out uh, Tuesday or Monday night. This is Monday afternoon. It'll be out soon. Um about Josh Okoge. And he's another guy that defensively, you think he's got to have one of the best defensive ratings on the team. Um, and I think his gambling and the whole deal with it, even though he's better at, at not gambling than he was last year, he's much more disciplined. But there is still that factor. And so there's those kind of bad defenders. And then there are the guys like D'Lo and Beasley who just wave at people. Yeah. Although Delo's defensive rating is not as bad as, as Beasley's or Wancho's. Well, that's why I think we're getting to <laughs> there's a theme here that defensive rating is is maybe not a great great <laughs> rating. Yeah. I mean I, I I more so I mean it's the whatever, it's the classic sort of deal of sample size. Right. But but I think it's a, it's what's really important whenever you're looking at those type of numbers is to not only look at sample size, but to look at it was there was that sample con congruent all along the players they were playing with, like you know take the Jimmy year right, right that that um, that starting lineup Tibbs played so much they played like twelve hundred minutes together right over the course of the year so so if you take Taj Gibson's I think the biggest the most used quintet this year is like one hundred and sixty five exactly so exactly that that's what I'm saying where I'll take Taj Gibson's defensive rating in that setting or offensive rating, whatever, right. to be representative of his production. With that he, unit. Well, but that unit made up 70% of his But minutes. that's my point, too, is not only is it the frequency, but it's the familiarity. Mm -hmm. I mean, who's to say this is obviously Ryan and Rosas's stalling tactic <laughs> is give us time and we'll communicate better and we'll play defense better. Uh, they're going with the familiarity angle, um, and and if anything, I think the defense is going backwards. How how do you mean? They can't stop anybody at the rim, and that's partly on the bigs, but it's mostly on the perimeter guys. There's no dribble contained. But what what is interesting though is I think Josh Kogi has actually been very good at that. He has been very good at it. <laughs> so but the other two guys are so bad I at know, it. Yeah. And actually, there are times because I just did this Okogi piece. Mm -hmm where he does the cat thing. He gets lost 
chasing offensive boards. He's a really good offensive rebounder, and he takes pride in it. He likes it, but he gets trapped sometimes. But it's when he's the only one doing it, it works without cat. I, I like him doing that when he – I just think all teams, you, you throw one person at the offensive All box, I know is the max. other day, Ingram got two transition buckets while Kogi's hunting offensive rebounds. Sure. I think that part of that is – the people you're trusting to pick you up at the other end are untrustworthy. And part of that is that um, New Orleans had a game plan. They were going to run the Wolves off the floor because everybody can for some reason. For me, with a Kogi, while I'm, I'm simultaneously encouraged by what I've seen this past month and, and wary of it because I think it's – I think a lot of his success comes from the fact that Cat isn't out there. <laughs> and I mean, the offensive rebounding is one thing, but but like, what what do we talk about? Is the 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 See, biggest but breakdown? He cuts. He likes to get cuts from Cat. Yeah. And okay. So yeah, there, there's positives, and I think he's good at finding Cat on drop offs when he gets the basket. He and Cat work well on offense. I don't think they work well on defense. And part of that is because, well, the scheme that mm-hmm. they had. Who knows whether that's you know we don't know. But okay, but Pete, yeah, the scheme's under gonna the evolve, old scheme. But there's always, even no matter what the scheme is, there's going to be situations where Okogie's going to gamble and Cat is too. Well, sure, but but more so, Cat's man's going to come screen for Okogie's man. Hmm. And the issue with that is um, Okogie's very doesn't overzealous. like to give up his man. It, exactly, and it's on Cat to make the call there. <laughs> and what will but what will happen is, and th- this is why I, I think this is why we've seen them butt heads at times this year. Is cat is can be late to the call, mm-hmm. and then a Kogi will can be. step into the hole. Uh-huh. I, I mean, that cat will that be was, late to the call. But, but also, if a Kogi takes that on himself, now Which you is have this frequent. Yeah, now you have this like total. I agree. Breakdown. Ricky Rubio did the same thing. One of Rubio's biggest defensive deficiencies is he would not let go of the role man. Mm-hmm. He he would chase, and. Um, that didn't work very well either. For you know, it worked well with KG, of course, because mm-hmm. um, KG could could probably defend the guy who was trailing Rubio anyway, as well as the guy who was ahead of Rubio. But um, I think that Cat Okogi. What your point is accurate in that Okogi is a distinctive defender. He needs the right compliments to maximize his capabilities. Um, and I think probably the same on offense. He's working wonderfully right now because it's a space situation. And D'Lo is a really good passer. And Nas is actually a pretty good passer. And because he and Lehman don't share the floor very much, he's the cutter. Mm-hmm. You know, Wancho cuts occasionally, but Wancho doesn't have his timing. So... I mean, my great nugget for the column, one of them anyway, is that over the last 10 games, which is since the All-Star break, which means since Cat's been out, um, Josh Okogie is second on the team in true shooting percentage. It's crazy. 64-8, I think it is. Really good. Um, First is McLaughlin, Jordan McLaughlin. (laughs) Malik Beasley's third. And Malik Beasley's shooting the crap out of the ball. Exactly. But Okogie, I mean, Okogie's not missing from the line. He's like... A couple of free throws below 80% this year from the line. Uh, his points per shot under cleaning the glass 
is now up to 52nd percentile among wings. Now, wings, they are the scores. The fact that Okogie is in the median of all wing scores. And that's for the whole season? Yeah. His usage is really low. So, of course, it doesn't make the dent that other 52nd percentile wing scores will do. But still, that's a tribute to Okogi that his usage is down. Because if his usage was up, that number would go down. It means he'd be shooting threes at a 26.6% clip. I think he's he's a fascinating case as you start thinking about this team for the next few years. Because I think think all the things we've brought up are true to some degree. Where there's questionable ability to mesh with Cat. There's growth happening. Um, his, his free, Charlie, you know, brought this up when we were talking the other day about, you know, he's been like a, what would you say? Free throw shooter. I mean like 80, he's been a, he's, I don't know what the exact number is, so I don't want to misquote it, but he's been a good free throw shooter. Yes. He was 728, I think last year and up to 797 this year. I mean, and, and what do, what do all the smart people always say? What's the best indicator of being able to shoot later, of being able to shoot later is, is free throw percentage. Well, not only that. And he shot, Okogi shot, well, from the free throw line in college, too. He is, he is over 60% at the rim now. Yeah, like way over. Yeah. And he was good at it last year. The difference this year is he gets offensive rebounds, so he gets putbacks. He's mm-hmm. cutting more and better, so he's doing that. And I think very importantly, he's not trying to finish his hero steals and blocks. Yeah. He doesn't challenge people one-on-three after he gets a steal, which always – you know, it was Corey Brewer-esque in terms of its uh, <laughs> tragicomic result, you know. These gyrations that wind up with an air ball is, you know, I mean, they're really funny, but uh, it don't work he out had, for He him. had a peak one of those yesterday where he was coming at the basket towards us, and somehow he I like, think it went in. <laughs> no, one of them, one went, of them, oh, one one of them, them did, though. Okay, yeah. One of them was... Yeah, like, one of them was, was so far impossible. Right, it would right. it, it never could have. Gone Did it go in. over the backboard? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's what I'm that talking one. about. Right, right. right. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I guess with him, particularly when somebody is like a, a low usage guy, not necessarily like a quote unquote high skill player. Generally, I think I think that's like easier to project out what that player is going to be. Right, like their game isn't going to change that much. You just basically ask yourself, are they going to be able to you know sandpaper out the rough edges? Right. And so with, with him, you'd think you'd be able to do that, but I, I, I find myself not knowing. Well, here's another thing that I think is really beguiling. He turns 22 yeah. in September. He's 21 and a half years old. Right. Which, I mean, is, I, which is six months older than Culver. I mean, yeah, he's, he's young. So he, uh, I think uh, Nas and Culver and one other guy from Iowa, Jalen, Jalen Noel, are the three guys who were younger than him on the team. Right. And he's the second. It, it's <laughs> unprecedented in the NBA. Is another thing I wrote. Uh, there has never been a guy that young who is second in seniority on an NBA. How did team. you look that up? I don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> There will never be in a in a fifteen man roster. There will never be a twenty one and a half year old guy who is second That's among true. those fifteen players in seniority. It just is never going to happen. The, the only, even expansion teams. The only team I can think of, which is about as close as we can get to an expansion team, is the process Sixers. Hey, Covington by himself. Nick yeah, that's that. true. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Well, that's one. But I, I mean, I think. Believe me. 
No, no, no. I, I, <laughs> 15 guys <laughs> under know, the I'm, age I'm of 22. I'm just doing the exercises in my head now. Um, yeah, he's a, I, he's, a, he's a fascinating case because I think that role defensively is so critical. He's the wing stopper. And <laughs> they need multiple. Well, but. I mean, he's the wing stopper. He's, depending on what measure you read, I've been reading the one off the walls, uh, the, you know, the, the cheat that they give us that, you know, you probably get it online. I always <laughs> ask for a paper copy. But uh, they list him at 6'5 there. Most of the other places list him at 6'4. He was at the combine 6'3 without shoes and <laughs> Six. So then, that's typically like a six four. A guy yeah. who would be listed at six four. So, uh, and a seven foot wingspan though, and he's thick. So it's like, I I don't have any, I don't have any size concerns about him being able to guard wings. What I what I start having concerns is when they run out these D'Lo, J Mac, Beasley, <sighs> Akogi is the four, and Wancho's the. Five. I mean, that was the Miami closing lineup, yeah. and we've seen that at other times, and. Like, you, you would think that would be an isolated incident where, like, oh, they just went with some group that, you know, was. That's Houston-like. That's what I'm saying. And that's. Yeah. Uh, that's concerning. Well, it's a. I just think but it's going to be a But when Houston gets wiped out in the playoffs, that won't happen anymore. You think that's going to change Gerson's view on how to build this team? I hope so. Because um, Orlando. Who we, we have really good experience with Orlando. We saw them twice recently. Mm-hmm. They're larger than you think. Between yeah. Vooch and Gordon, they are large. They know how to play offense. They destroyed Houston yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Destroyed them. And it's because Houston could not stop them. And surprise, surprise. I mean, Vucic and Gordon are beasts in, in that if you put littles on them, as mm-hmm. the Wolves found out, they'll, they'll you know, the heat. As good as Nas Reed did against Zion, he did bad against Vucevic. Twice, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so there isn't any of the other 15 NBA teams that don't have that kind of firepower? No, I mean, that's what I've, that's what I've been saying all year is, like, <laughs> even in the it's previous iteration of the team, yeah, I, I, I you know, I, I – the, the whole Covington at the four and never playing a second big. I mean, that is like two iterations ago. Exactly. Small. Well, they've, Covington they've at the four, I shrinking. bought into. Covington at the five, I don't. I mean, or even with Trent Tucker. I mean, no, Trent Tucker, uh, <laughs> P.J. Tucker. Um, that's still too small. Uh, yeah, I mean, but. A- and it's not going to work. Um, it'll be one of those things where they may win three games in a row and shock somebody, but inevitably they will lose three games in a row to somebody good or bad and fall through the cracks. Guess what their uh, ratings are since the trade deadline. Oh, they're very good on defensive, even on defense. They're sixth, pretty sixth in offense, 12th in defense, which leads to seventh overall. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of more with you where I'm, I'm very wary of it in the playoffs. When you match up with the same team four or five times in a row, right? and right now I think it might be somebody like Utah, Right now, it's, so they're the sixth because Oklahoma City passed them. I love Oklahoma City. <laughs> uh, they'd be playing Denver. Who is big? I really want Oklahoma City to get up to third then. I want Chris Paul to play Houston with home court advantage and have Steven Adams just get every single missed shot in the <laughs> world. Well, I mean, so, so here's, I mean, to, to strengthen their, So Houston's sixth. The five teams ahead of them are the Thunder who have Steven Adams, yep. Utah, who goes Rudy Rudy Gobert, Gobert right. at the five, 
and then Denver, who goes Jokovic and Jok- Milsap, and Millsap, or or even or even uh, I mean Jeremy Plumley. Grant. Jeremy Grant is like he's not necessarily strong, but he's he is a problem for right. undersized people given his athleticism. The Clippers are physical. Yes, they're not they're not uh, front court big necessarily. But they got Mar- Marcus Morris too now. I mean they've got guys who bruise you. Yeah, well then so they can go. And I think they will. And not only that, but they have like Pat Bev to put on, um, and on Paul, Paul George and Kawhi to yeah. to guard your wings. I right. mean that they. But Pat Beverly on uh, Russell Westbrook, we know how that's gone in the past. Right. And then the Lakers are the biggest team ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it's um, I'm I'm in for the experiment, interested by the exper- experiment of Houston, and it'll be something for us worth tracking um, because. I if he goes that far, if Rosas goes that far and starts to well, play. Well, he can't ever go that far because he's got Cat, or as long as Cat's yeah. on the team. What is another word for small ball that isn't pejorative? Um, I don't know. Some people Dwarf don't ball? think that. Some people, I think that's worse. Um, I, think, I think a lot of people don't think of small ball pejoratively. No, no, I meant the word. Like dwarf ball. Dwarf oh, is oh, not, a, not a slur. Not a uh, politically incorrect thing to say. I just remembered. I just looked this up the other day. <laughs> okay. Little people prefer to be called either little people or dwarfs. Okay. So dwarf ball. The we'll other, the M word is verboten. Yes. So if the Timberwolves roll with dwarf ball, which I think they will, they will no matter what happens to Houston in these playoffs. Interesting. I think I think that will be their identity. The identity of the second unit next year hmm. will be that. I think th- I think that's what we're when gathering. you do this podcast. Uh, later on, you you got to tease Dwarf Ball. <laughs> <laughs> so the title. I'm already intrigued by it. <laughs> um, I, I think what we're seeing now with this team is going to be very representative of what the second unit's identity will be next year hmm. and in the future. It's what we don't know yet is what the the main identity, and I, as we think of it as the first unit with Cat, will look like. But where will Kogi fit? He could go either way, right? Well, so this kind of counters my whole idea of him and him and Cat don't synergize well. But you know, in a theoretical vacuum, you want you would want your best point of attack defender to be playing with Cat, who that is so important to him being. Uh, you but know, they have solid. to make the right reads and calls, and and then maybe it goes to to the youth angle that you brought up that a Kogi's going to get. You know, better at that. More time for those two. Um, looking better. They, they, they are. I think their priority is still to get a bruising four. Um, what? That's what I think. Why? Because I think that's what they need. But I. And all. That's what your priority power is. Power forward. So so what is? Give me some examples because I think that's the interesting question. The one that people who listen to this know that I've been bringing up for yeah, a month Ari. now is. So you see him as a. Okay, I I wouldn't call that a bruising four. I'd call that a stretch four who's big. But he he's actually an underrated defender because he's big. But he actually doesn't move that badly. Uh, and Jeremy Grant, for that matter. Both are free agents. Bam. Adebayo. We messed that one up yesterday. Oh, I, did. I really <laughs> messed it up. <laughs> what did I say? The two guys that were most, the guys I'd want the most on this team. You said you said Bam, Bam and there was another guy. Who we were just kind of kicking out names. Yeah, well, that I I forgot about it because I made fun of you for calling him Adababo. Or something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, 
Well, I th- when in I doubt, up- when you're talking about African-born players, <laughs> throw in as many B's and O's as you can. That's my theory. Um, Paul Millsap, I very brought old, up to you. But otherwise, good he, player. Did you say very old? Yes. Yes. Also, But also a free agent. Oh, no. We do not want to spend... Multiple well, that's my, tens of millions on Paul Mills. Well, that's my question. Is is what it, what is he going to cost? I think they should get somebody in the draft. Now that they have their point guard, which is what I thought they should have done for the draft before they got D'Lo. Mm-hmm. Now I think if you have like a top five or six player, don't worry if he's projected to go nine or 15. Take him if it's a point of need. I think that Cat needs somebody... Cat needs somebody who is a cross between KG and Roko. And you think we're going to be able to find that in this crappy draft? I think that is exactly the kind of player that somebody overlooks and calls a draft crappy. Okay. You know, somebody, if if he's not scoring 26 and getting 16 rebounds, you know. Um, so there's, and you and I, listeners. I don't have nothing. I have no clue about these college guys, but I, I'm, you know, I know I like. A, I, I'm, I'm into the prototype. I don't know any names. Yeah, and and but I think that's what it becomes the question of. I don't know if I agree with you where you just scrolled on your list to find the, you know, that forward that you're that you're looking for, and you pass. You want up. best player available. I, I think I, the, even if it's I, a point guard. What I what I go back to is I don't think think this team has enough talent, and the best way to add talent, large talent on your team, for a cheap price, is to get quote unquote lucky in the draft, mm-hmm. and you know, and and get your jaw. And to me, that means somebody, the people who get lucky in the draft, I think who get really lucky, stumble on the Donovan Mitchell, or stumble onto you know. And maybe it's not Pick as much a as a stumble. Rudy Gobert, yeah. Manet, you know, Manu Ginobili, you go way back, you can go sure. neck last year. I mean, I'm sure there's – Miami suddenly found three guys. Yeah. But – And Rosas, through his Iowa work, indicates to me that he might be able to do that. Yeah, I, I mean, there's, there's two ways to look at that, is you give them credit as a draft evaluator for what they've done in Iowa with Martin, McLaughlin, and Reed – or you go the other way of it and you look at what Culver and Jalen Noel, their actual draft picks, have produced, which has been underwhelming. It has been underwhelming, but both on the come right now. Yeah, I, I've I mean, like Jalen Noel, of all people, is, um, is if he keeps this up, um, he's, he's a net rating god right now. Yeah. I was I was about to say to you, remember when he came in and they immediately got like six run, six points against the Wolves, and I yeah. said, that's the end of Jalen Noel's yeah. net rating godness. And then, boom, there he was at the end of the game. with a Yeah, but, I mean, he was playing a bunch in that fourth quarter against Orlando. It's that a lot of garbage. Of um, to, to get back to the draft, I I just – I know you disagree with me here, but I, I'm looking at that top pick as much more of a trade asset than I am – as uh, as actually drafting someone, and that I, I'm not even saying that because I think the draft is bad because I don't know. No, I know. I'm, I'm I'm saying that because I think that's that's how I would guess that this front office would view it. Do you think now that he has gone way out of his way to set up the quote unquote timeline mm-hmm. that Rosas will stick with it, or do you think he'll go with a vet? 
I, I think he will stick with it, and we will see – I think a pattern will be um, what we've seen with James Johnson, where there will be a guy or – there will be at least one guy like that who, who's kind of like a vet who who plays the He's game how they want to play. He's a brilliant distraction. He, he is. And then I, I think over, over time, once this team theoretically gets better, then you then you start having like three of those, like Trevor Ariza, Luke Bamute. Right. Like um, Sam Mitchell, Terry Porter, back on KG. Yeah. Was. I just look at all of it through this is what Houston did. Uh-huh. And I, I just – Right. My, my theory is – I don't know if I said this on another podcast or when we were just talking. My theory is that this super – this dwarf ball idea was – the like Houston, the Houston, current Houston team's dwarf ball idea was actually Gerson Rosa's idea years ago, where he said, "If we have to pivot off let's of pivot really small, if we have to pivot off of Capella specifically, right? Let's try this out. We're we're finding an efficiency with it, with Harden and you know Harden's isolation ability plus the lob, the pick and roll. Um, I think that was plan number one. Plan number two was, all right, isolation, like." isolating with uh, with Harden and Chris Paul. And now I think they've leaned even further into that by with getting – and Beasley. Well, but, no, before – Houston. By just getting – Oh, Houston. By getting Westbrook. I think by getting Westbrook, at the beginning of the year, they said we're all – we're moving not quite all in on, on isolation. Think West, now they're all in. I think Westbrook was the reason they went super small, dwarf ball, because I think that – you can't have both Harden and Westbrook mm-hmm. um, getting 35 to 40 percent usage, and basically just go tell a center to go stand underneath the basket and wait for the defense to come back to him. Um, I mean, I just think that you need. Um, there is a prototype growing in the NBA of the staunch four, the staunch five. Um, is still, I think, a little greedy for touches. I okay. I, th- I don't think that. Uh, which, by the way, Okogie's usage is really, really small, and um, those guys are really valuable when you have a D'Lo, a Beasley, and a Cat on the floor you need at the same yeah. time, and you need a defensive stopper. I mean, in some ways, he is. There's a reason why he wasn't included in the house cleaning. The only Tibbs holdover. Well, that was a Gerson quote. He said, "He said there's a reason." Specifically set pointed to Josh Kogi and Jared Culver, maybe because he was running out of options of guys who were still there. <laughs> but those are the two references. Like, right, right. A, as somebody, I, a person who's not normally in the media scrums with us, brought up Russell's defensive RPM and Cat's defensive RPM and um, Rosa's counterpunch back to that was immediately bringing up Josh. There's a reason Josh Kogi is here. There's a reason Jared right, Culver is here. Right. And, um, which is to say, we'll cover for his sorry ass on defense. Exactly. That that that's the implication. And 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 as we've been saying, I I, I can see that in Josh Okogie. Mm-hmm. I I can see that the growth there. Who covers for Okogie? That's the problem. Because when Okogie covers for somebody, they are blanketed until he's on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Were you the uh, ADHD? Uh, yeah. Was that about Okogie? I can't remember who it was no. about. Was my, it? Oh, my, Beasley. My, yeah, my theory is that Beasley has ADD. Right. And I don't. I don't. I don't know if that. I hope that's not, not in a, a pejorative a, sense. No. Yeah. In the sense that basketball um, ADD. Well, that he he really is. He's mercurial. 
is mm. what you're saying. I yeah. mean, he's 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 moody um, in that things need to happen the way he's expecting them to happen. Um, well, you just if you go back and what I always do if I don't rewatch the game is I always go back and watch the other team's shots mm -hmm. afterwards. And w when you go back and look at those and there's there's a breakdown and and Beasley's involved in it, it's because his brain Gave is, is pre is pre his brain is preoccupied on something else. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's very much like, you know, when you're when you're talking to someone and like they're they're not really listening to you. Right. And and that that that's what I see with him. Like I don't, the I two presidential, the guys <laughs> who will probably square off in November like that. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I I don't know I it it's an important question whether or not that can be ironed out. Mm -hmm. They need they need him to be as you said the guy to cover for Okogi. They right. need that to be Malik Beasley. And you know as I I I, I can't deny that my you know. I, I've been lower on Malik Beasley's market value uh, from the start, and it, it's going up by about a million a day. Um, Except for the last two games. Yeah, but it, it's it's had a linear overall trajectory. See, I started hedging two games ago. I was, you know, I'm I'm a 15 million a year, four for 60. I'm still comfortable with. Um, after the last two games. Uh, I didn't like the way he sulked on the bench for a while, uh, away from the huddle. I know that, you know, can happen. He's 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 a young guy too, um, and also I think he wanted to be by his mom. Could be. I mean, who was sitting by right, us? Right, who was right. at the end of the bench? I, mean, I also think that um, he's the worst at dribble contain. He's worse than D'Lo at dribble contain. Th this sounds weird, but. This is the best way I can describe his physique. Is he has he has one of those waists where it looks like you could wrap your hands around it, right? And like your fingers would touch each other, right? He's he's very thin. He's very thin. And I, I, oddly, we have access to being able to see that in the locker room, right? But but he is he he needs to put on weight. I think more than anybody. He's one ninety four. I think is what they got him at. And I mean. Yeah, he's six four, might take the, I might take the under on that. Like he, right. he looks like he's like, like somebody who's maybe struggled to keep on weight over the course of the uh -huh. season. You know, maybe I don't know. Obviously, I didn't see him with his shirt off in September. But, but see, I also think that um, you have to move your feet too, and he, both he and D'Lo do not move their feet. D'Lo is, I, I just got through saying he's worse than D'Lo, and I think he is overall. But D'Lo is a reacher. And that can be worse. He does that. He does that. I, the, 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 one of the biggest signs the, of somebody who's... The poke steal. Oh, pretend, the, the pretend poke steal. The reach behind the back sort yeah, of thing, yeah, yeah. which is like the worst when you're playing pickup basketball and you've gone by someone and they do the ole right. behind the back poke away. D'Lo loves that, right. which is a, just a, a burning symbol of you're not good at defense. Right. But um, Beasley, his market value. The way I'm starting to think about it, is Bogdanovich, uh huh, in in Sacramento, which I very different people, but very similar shot profile. I think very similar shot profile. He's the guy who we've been talking about as the cream of the restricted class. Andy Andy Grimsrud, who sits between us, loves uh, from uh, a wolf from, among wolves. Yes, yes, he uh, he's a big uh, Bogdanovich guy. Bogdanovich and Beal, he wants them very yeah, badly. Yeah. Um, 
so Bogdanovich is, as we're having this sort of, you know, existential crisis of how much is he going to cost with Malik Beasley? Sacramento Kings fans or NBA viewers have been having that that the whole you know that conversation the whole year. They have Buddy Healed though. Well, and so so that's so Buddy Healed is it? They're both they're both interesting plot points as we try as we yeah. as we and the Timberwolves front office looks at this. Is Buddy Healed is an elite shooting guard he is. on 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 the wing, and he he just signed last summer for big money four ninety four for for ninety four exactly. So. You, you, I guess that's like the peak of what Beasley could be. I mean, oh, I would oh, have to turn that down. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would too. But like, if we're looking at, if we're looking at really good shooting guards coming off of their rookie contract, that's the most recent example. Buddy Heald has the potential to be, I think, um, the second coming. Maybe not as fast a release, but the second coming of Kyle Korver. He, Buddy Heald is special. And he is, he is in great shape. Mm-hmm. So, nobody, I, I don't know if anybody in the league is better at repositioning themselves out to the perimeter and doing so fast. His, like, if you track, if you put, like, a little beacon on him, it would be, he would be constantly sprinting to the nail and back out to the free throw line. It would make this, like, right. snowflake-type figure. I, I mean, he's, he's great. And I, I think that's a level ahead of, of both – Bogdanovich and Beasley, and I, think, I agree. I think Be- I think Bogdanovich is ahead of Beasley. In I think only because of size and defense. Mm-hmm. I I think that Beasley. I'm very impressed by De- Beasley's jumper, and more recently, he's getting to the cup. Yeah, it was uh, the Orlando game was really good. And I actually early in the New Orleans game, he was really good too. It what the argument that you can make for Beasley to bump it up even more is. Is Bogdanovich is going to be twenty eight this summer? Right. Beasley will be twenty three. Not even not even twenty four yeah. by the time the year starts. So he, you know, if you sign him to a four year contract, you've got him twenty four through twenty seven. At least last two years. years of prime, right? Yes. So it. I mean, I don't know. I I still fall back on my whole salary cap space logic, but. This is he's producing so much better than I thought, and if that matters, if it which it does, right? Like matters what he produces in these thirty games. That has to see, and this is where people sometimes ask me why I'm a Rosas fan in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not a fan of his salesmanship and and sometimes his his way of framing things, um, but actions speak louder than words, and. One of the things that I am confident of is he has all of this minutia so far thought out with the best in the NBA working it Mm -hmm. that he has figured out six different contingencies for what happens with Beasley that are going to be um, advantageous for the Wolves. I mean, whatever happens with Beasley... There will be goodness coming out of it, and, and I mean, basically, that is, you're going to sign him into a good contract because the market, you know, limits that, or or you're going to sign and trade him for another a, a piece. nice piece, right? Yeah. So it's, I mean, that's the whole, or you package him in some three team deal that gets you like a lottery pick in the 21 draft. I mean, I have no idea what he's going to do. Right. It, it's where the whole. 
and I don't even know if anybody's making this argument anymore that they shouldn't have traded Robert Covington. That that falls apart when you go, okay, Robert Covington was worth two first round picks. Sure. They have one of those two first round picks. Still it's the Brooklyn pick right. that they will have this summer. Yes. Um if Brooklyn makes the playoffs. And then the other pick, which was the le- the lesser of the two, the Houston pick, is what became Wancho and Beasley. Right. Now that, if you're right, and they're not going to just lose Beasley for nothing, which I agree, they're gonna there will be something right worked out there. Then you're going to recoup some of that value, no, no matter what. Like you're not there, there. There's it seems like when you look at it that that Beasley and Wancho are ex, are free agents, so you could lose them for nothing, but they're restricted, restricted free agents. Huge difference. So there's going to be yeah. There's going to be a whole sort of – they're going to be able to recoup that value. And you and I both love Robert Covington. Yes. But, like, you got two firsts for him. Yeah, and you're going to I, be able to keep I, two uh, I love Covington so much that I don't even think about – I don't dwell on what would it would be like if he was still on the team. Yeah. Uh, but – the fact that I don't immediately argue with you when you say I don't know anybody who would argue with yeah. keeping Covington, <laughs> um, it's just a very different way to watch basketball. Yeah. I mean, people waltz into the lane like a, a rumba line and <laughs> and toss in layups yeah. with with amazing nonchalance. And if Robert Covington was in the game – at least 50% of them would be stripped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's never going to happen with Wancho. No, no, no. That's true. It, he would He would help. He would definitely help you know, immensely. They wouldn't so have a 117 to, defensive rating in the last 10 games. Do you know that that's what the defensive rating yes. of Cat and, and Rocco were when they shared the floor this year? <laughs> yeah, well, that's fine. But uh, it wasn't the team's defensive rating. The defense was bad when Cat and Rocco shared the floor. And the defense was amazing when Dang and Rocco were in. That's true. That's true. No, I, I mean, it's. I mean, let's face it. Let's not. You don't you try to put Robert Covington's defensive reputation on the line because he played next to Carl Anthony Towns. Because when Robert Covington played next to Gorgie Jang, I think it was 93 or something yeah, yeah, absurd. Yeah. Right. No. So 117-93, you tell me. Who the wild card is there? I, it's absolutely Who the cat. X factor is. It's absolutely cat. But as I think you came around to the notion that it is important that the second big next to Carl Anthony Towns can defend the rim, and that is not That's what why Robert said a bruising did. four, right? Yep. yep, can do that. So it's a it's an interesting plot point that I hope that they're you know they're con- considering in this is that this season suggests you right. need no that next dwarf to Carl ball. Anthony. You know, <laughs> but but then I'm like, anti dwarf ball. I I mean I, I want too. I just don't think you should big. I, I I mean not a center, but I want a good solid four. Yeah, I. But they went and got Wancho and James Johnson. Like you got to, you need to track what that behavior suggests too. Whether that's that's what you want versus what they're. I doing. can't imagine. Oh, I mean, I, <laughs> this is my arrogance. My arrogance says I can't imagine that they're enamored with Wancho. Now, almost everybody else I talk to really likes Wancho. I happen to think he's paper thin in the paint. I don't understand how you can reasonably expect him to share the court ever 
with Cat and expect to make the playoffs, let alone contend. What about as the backup? As a backup, then what are you doing there? I mean, what is that second unit all about? Dwarf ball. (laughs) (laughs) And that's a problem. Yeah. I mean, because at least Houston's dwarf ball has Tucker and Covington. So I I think you can, whereas with Beasley, you go, well, even if they lost him, they, you know, They'll get something. They'll get something back. With with Wancho. I'm prepared to lose Wancho for good. Yeah. And I, I think with Wancho, as you can with Culver, you can you can make an argument that they don't fit. Although Culver is Cul- coming around. Culver is coming around and Wancho's played well. I know. In in, in ways. He has. So I, I don't even I don't even necessarily mean that as an indictment, but just like more when we're we're talking about the archetype of those two, right. don't necessarily fit what we understand the system. Here's to be. what bothers me about. I mean, can you imagine Wancho and Cat on the same? On I mean, Wancho is another one of these guys that doesn't think he commits a foul, and the reason he doesn't think he commits a foul is because he is doing everything right. He's in the right position. He's got himself squared. He's he's. Mm-hmm. He's trying really hard. He goes up straight. But in the end, he knows at the crucial moment that he's about to get blown out. And he offers a little more resistance than he should and commits the foul. And it's not a bad instinct because nobody likes to get wiped out six times a game. Mm -hmm. But as a result, three of those six times, it's a wipeout. And three of those six times, it's a foul. You asked um, Ryan sometime over this weekend about about James Johnson and Nas Reed and if they could play the four next right. to Cat. And he said more James. He said more James, which I think means definitely not Nas. That's how I took and it. And I asked him um, earlier, do you ever entertain the idea of Nas and Cat together? Because I still think it yeah. can happen. And he said, I entertain a lot of things, and then gave me one of those conspiratorial smiles that made me think that maybe he does entertain it. (laughs) But you never know with Ryan. Ryan sometimes just likes the idea of bantering with the media because it makes him feel good, you know? Um, And wish that all coaches would be that way. Mm -hmm. But um, to your point, James Johnson and Cat might be good together in that I think Johnson might take it seriously. If if you put him in a room and you go, okay, you know, we're not going to give you 16 after this, but you're going to get paid. Um, we'll keep you around. You have to. You have to hold Cat accountable. And I think that pairing is going to be a lot about personalities. Yes. And how they <laughs> is it ever any different with Cat? It always is about personalities. Does he like him or not? He liked Rocco, and you know, I mean, I know it was one seventeen, but there was a time when he played really well with Rocco yeah. uh, when Rocco was the three. And KG, you know, he respected KG. I think he respects Johnson. I have no idea why. Well, I do know why. I think that uh, Vanterpool was not a Jordan Bell fan, and Ryan was a big Jordan Bell fan, and I think that. Ryan thought that they were going to play together mm-hmm. a lot more this year than they did, and Cat did too, and I think Jordan Bell probably did too, and I think Rosas did too. Yeah, well, so uh, is it all? Is Vanderpool hold that much sway? I don't know, or maybe everybody just came. Well, you know, maybe if it's defense. But it, and then you look at 
he was a floater. I mean, I, I don't know. Is he getting time in Memphis now at all? He got cut. He's not in the NBA. Whew. There you go. Yeah. Score one for Vanderpool if our theory <laughs> is right. Uh, it's um. I don't know. I, I I thought a lot about the Cat and Johnson pairing and ba- in a basketball sense. In the other sense, um, it would be wild and wooly. It would it would be yeah. great and terrible, <laughs> alternating possessions. They're both gamblers who think they're better than they are. Yeah, that's the basketball sense. My I, I'm thinking about the the other the face of this franchise right now is James Johnson. <laughs> no, am, am I wrong? <laughs> I think they're trying very hard to make it, James Johnson. I think among the crowd, it's D'Lo and Beasley. Yes. But the I think that he, Ryan the, the loves James Johnson. The spokesman of the team yes. is James Johnson. Yes. The coach loves James Johnson. Yes. James Johnson loves being front-facing. He right. loves – he, he t- we've all talked to James Johnson more than we've talked to any other player on the team this year. Without a doubt. And because he's – He's a quote machine, and he also, and he'll just he shoot knows the shit how with you off works. the record, and he knows how this stuff works. I mean, he's he puts on his white leopard skin boots or whatever they are, and then talks about fast food joints. Yep, talks about where the Jimmy Johns is in town. I mean, that's an irresistible combo when you're like, and you're playing and, and super. And th- these uh, are all my, my thing is these are all those are all good things. Those are all those all seem like good things. Yes, but you have, you have to back ex- it up. No, I well that for sure, but you also have an extremely self-aware and just generally aware actual face of your franchise who's sidelined right now, Carl Anthony Towns, and I bet money that he's thinking about. Wait, why is everybody love James Johnson right now? This is my team, which he's not wrong. I mean, it, it is his team. He's the best player. I there's think- just a weird there's, there's there's just something there. There's something there. Well, there is definitely a – we sit on media row. We sit right in front of the Wolves bench. Literally, sometimes the Wolves bench is right in front of us so we can't see the game mm-hmm. nowadays. Um, but we see Cat. Cat um, doesn't realize how obvious he is in having his radar up for how much people are noticing what he's doing. It is very obvious that when Cat rushes to go help a teammate who's on the court, suddenly realizes he can't go on the court, wheels around and makes a very large deal over the fact that he almost went on the court against the rules or whatever, but caught himself at the last minute. And in the middle of doing this, looks around to see if everybody is appreciating exactly how much he caught himself over this great desire to help his teammate against all odds. And it was a work of willpower to make sure he didn't do that because he's a rule follower. But God damn it, he's also a great teammate. Cat is all about the corner of his eyes. Right. And that we're seeing that now on the bench. I think it's... There's no bit of irony to the notion that these last three games he decided to be extremely because he has another two on the, weeks on the on the sidelines and he wanted ever he wanted he wanted that attention and I'm it's the gone same. away for another two weeks but I'm still here I'm still here and 
I'm looking to see out of the side of my eye if you see that I'm still here. Right. And it's the same thing of when he dunks and he flexes, where yep. are his eyes? Right. His right. eyes are, are looking out of the side. Are you seeing me flexing right now? Right. There is a – I mean, a, a self – It's a microscope. It's a media microscope that, that um, you know, fortunately I'm way too old <laughs> to have had to deal with. But, you know, it's the Kardashian principle. Mm-hmm. And it's not what Delo's like, which surprised has surprised me. Yeah, that's true. You know, that's he true. Is he has been shockingly to himself and diffident? Mm-hmm. Somebody who um, just as soon give credit to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you you left before he talked last night, right? Uh, no, I caught last night. I, I left. There was supposed to be a gentleman's agreement oh, yeah. and not to show up at media day. And I thought the gentleman's agreement was we're leaving before D'Lo comes out. So I left. But yeah, this last time after the game, that was after – that was a Friday game. The Sunday game, after Sunday, I heard D'Lo. Which I thought was In fact, I asked him the thing about um, – Yeah. The, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether or not it was basically um, just you and I asking him questions. Yeah, I think it was at some point, uh, and um, essentially, I, I was—I could tell he didn't want to talk, and so I thought I'd give him a way out. And I said, "Was it a matter of you guys just playing bad defense, or was Houston playing really good offense?" And I actually think both, both, yeah, yeah. <laughs> both of them were accurate. I mean, New Orleans did have a really good game plan. And and those wings can do a lot of you know both Ball and um, Drew Holiday are very good passers. They're both point guards, and they were burning the Wolves, and they were burning D'Lo, and they were burning Beasley. And he did kind of cotton up to that question, but you could tell he, his internal what, alarm. What went he off. did not want to cotton up to was any questions about taking shots. About his shot selection. Oh, yes. Right, right. The mid-range. But the, That's yes. right. That was the questions you were interested in. I was. He did not want that. Well, and, and, and to me, I, I, that's actually – I'm of the mind that this is going to be very positively – is going to be impactful in a very positive way that he can be dynamic from the mid-range. I think that is going to op- – opens up a lot for this current iteration of this team and will when Cat's back. And th- that's what I was getting at, and uh-huh. I don't think. He, but he didn't get it. He di- he didn't get that, and essentially. essentially well, that's what because he, said, he knows that mid range is a dirty word around here. Exactly, and but his implication was clear. He goes, I don't care what you think about the mid about where I shoot from. I don't care what the coaches think about where I shoot from. I mean, literally, that's the quote. He goes, he he caught himself before coaches before he outright said coaches just gonna have to deal with it. He started coaches just. And he stopped, and he goes, we'll have a conversation about it if it gets there. And, and I, I literally don't think of anything of this as bad. It's what, what, I'm, what I'm taking, and I'm writing about Dilo right now, is this guy's going to do his thing, period. Okay, here's my counter. That's a precedent set for who? For Cat. <laughs> yeah. Dilo doing it. We'll see. Um, first of all, if D'Lo plays defense, I'm on. F- I'm all for it. You know, if Cat plays, you know, yeah. You give people slack. You give Cat. I, I would give Cat slack 
if he was just a sub-mediocre defender rather than a black hole. Um, I was very, very much on the Beasley bandwagon until he just had a horrendous last two games on defense. Now I'm backpedaling. you got to be somewhat of a two-way player. If D'Lo doesn't care what people say about his mid-range versus his long jumper, even if it's good for the team, and he doesn't play defense, screw him. I mean, that's, that's a bridge too far. That's another player that feels entitled unjustifiably. It, uh, so so he said that last night, and then I was at practice this morning. You weren't here. Oh, and, yeah. I was writing. And um, I, I kind of asked Ryan about it. And, and so I my, my whole thing with the, the whole concept of shooting mid-range shots as your team does offensively or allowing them defensively um, has so much to do if you believe in the hot hand theory or not. Right. And I, I framed it to Ryan initially – um, because they're playing Houston tomorrow, mm, and right. they and they have you know, the every, guys for that. Right? Every team, every team has to at some point ask themselves, how much, how much, how long am I going to let Westbrook or Harden do this for? And especially Westbrook, because Harden yes. is the analytics dream, and Westbrook is the analytics nightmare. Exactly. So, so, so what, the way I, I framed it was, you know, you've we've talked so much about analytics over the course of time, and that that is a that is like a fundamental like push or pull sort of deal. It's that what, you know, do, do you operate, you know, mechanically and say it's a contested mid range shot. We'll live with that no matter what. And, and some people would argue, yes, you, you do, you do with that. Others would argue if this guy has made five of them thus far in the game, we need to adjust to throw a second defender into that area to, you know, not let that be the shot that they get. Right. And that's all about whether or not, you know, you... The last 10 games, by the way, the Wolves are last in the NBA in mid-range percentage allowed by opponents. Allowed by opponents? Okay. So, in other words, opponents are continuing to just nail mid-range shots by the Wolves. They're last in the NBA. Okay. S- then I think it connects... Then what my follow-up was, well, you have one of those. You have a Westbrook or Harden in D'Angelo. So, so what Ryan said, he's like, yeah, at some point you do adjust to, to Harden or them. And, and you know, you, you say, you know, you say we need to throw two guys at them. We need to get the ball out of their hands. We can't just let them go do that, which is very counter to what they did at the beginning of the year. But whatever, that's a separate tangent. Exactly what I was going to say is that, the whole message, Andrew Wiggins is over in Gold State right now yep. going, what? <laughs> <laughs> then then what he said with, with his players is he goes, at some point you begin to bite your tongue and, and you let it go. And you have the conversation afterwards where you said, all right, you had a lot of success this game. You made, <laughs> the, actually the number he said, you made 55 mid-range jump shots last game. Obviously no one's ever done that. Right. And so we we reemphasize the fact that these are the shots we, we want you to get. So, I mean, he's on the record. That's what he's saying. To me, that signals – it's why I, – I believe it. 
I believe this is all going to get way less dogmatic as far as ever, the strict abidement to the system offensively, defensively, analytically. Because he has the personnel he wants. Rosas we're talking about now because that's really who's speaking here to some extent. <laughs> that's true. And I just so think it, it's it's going to – if this is true, if, if it's less if, – if, if they're going to be way less dogmatic – in the way that they pursue all of this, that is going to change so much of the fiber of what okay. we've come to understand. And the what I will say, we had this conversation at the beginning of the year, as it turned out, at least temporarily I was right, in that I said they would shoot threes even if they never made them. Yeah. They will just hammer it. I think they will hammer it. I think that D'Angelo Russell shooting eight for 32 from wherever he wants to um, – will lose that argument. And I think that his true shooting percentage will mm -hmm. lose that argument. Right. At the end of the day, they'll look at a Jordan McLaughlin and Josh Okogie, for God's sake, and they'll say, hey, these guys have a higher true shooting percentage than you. But, but then they'll go to the next column on the stat sheet and they'll say, what are their usages? Right. It's different. I mean, it Okay, so if your highest usage guy is a mid-range shooter – yeah, you make a few more than Andrew Wiggins did, and you play a different position. Or the threat of that open is opens up more of the game to your lesser usage players. Right. So then what you say is look at the offensive rating or look at the, the literally the offense, the potency yeah. of the offense. Um, D'Lo, I, I said this to Ryan the other day just as a way of forming a question. There was a, a point where I was thinking about um, – stat sheet versus uh, eye test. And I said, um, when McLaughlin and D'Lo are on the court together, what I see with D'Lo is he is a wonderful finesse passer. Mm -hmm. He's somebody who can, um, if, if it calls for a semi-lob when a guy is on the run, he can loft the ball perfectly. If it comes to a pocket pass, he can get it in space. If it comes to a dribble and rifle to the corner, he can do that with speed. What McLaughlin does, off the dribble, I think his court vision is more important than his finesse. Mm -hmm. I think he's somebody who already knows exactly where two guys are going to be open, and if one guy gets less open, he knows where he's going. To the, yeah. And he lets you know later, only belatedly, that he's going there, so the guy's wide open. And, you know, you can already predict what Ryan said. Yeah, that's generally okay, but... D'Lo also has a lot of vision. You know, I mean, uh, he, he, God forbid he criticizes anybody even indirectly that way. I still think it's true, and I think that as a result, I would feel better about D'Lo um, operating out of the mid-range to open things up for people if he proves that he has the kind of comprehensive court vision and anticipation. Like that. that he, I'm not sure he has that yet. I am totally on board with the fact that if the guy wants to thread the needle to a player, he can do it. Right. And if he wants to um, even no-look somebody, he can do it. But option B and C are not nearly as effective for him, I don't think, as they will be for J-Mac. Hmm. I think that's where we hit the, the question of what does it look like when you have the full roster. Yeah, and also... The fact that D'Lo is getting 
25, and J-Mac right now is getting 78,000. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Overall, the pre-deadline team and the post-deadline team has almost the exact same shot selection. Isn't that amazing? It is, it is amazing because it's, they're getting it in totally different ways. Uh-huh. I mean, if you... It's, it's not um, chalkboard anymore. It's um, skill set reaction. Fifth, fifth in shots at the rim pre-deadline. Now third at shots on the rim at post-deadline. 27th in the league in mid-range volume. Now 25th in mid-range volume. Mm-hmm. That's D-Lo. Third in threes pre-deadline. Third in D's post-deadline. Uh, third in threes post-deadline. I mean, it's almost, yep. it's almost the same. But as you were saying before we logged on, um, they don't look the same. Not at all. And that, that is my biggest – that's why I'm – what I'm writing is this is going to look so – next year is going to look – the beginning of next year is going to look so different than the beginning of this year. So is the roster maybe. Yeah. Yet it's going to maintain an abidement to – I Shot agree. Values. I would agree with that. And that's why I think that what D'Lo told you, admirable rebellion, ultimately not true. No. I think he will get with the program. He'll have, he'll have a Bahamas what? sit down like Wiggins did. And, and, you, and you know what? Um, as good as that floater is, I remember him getting 50 against the Wolves, and the Wolves just schooling that team. I mean, yeah. it was Golden State. But the point being, they wanted D'Lo to take those shots. You know? Yeah. It's the, the whole in D'Angelo Russell is that he is regarded, and I asked Steve Clifford about this before the game, and he called him a terrific pick-and-roll player. Mm-hmm. And, and at times you see it. You, 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 see the, you see the shaping of it. Yes. But you look at, look at the past two years of the players who have been high-volume pick-and-roll players – and D'Angelo Russell's up there. He was up there last year in Brooklyn in an all-star season, top 10 in volume, and he's up there again, top 10 in volume. And of those 10 players, he has the worst efficiency in those, in those actions. And That's a good stat. It, 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 it means one of two things. It means he isn't that good. Or he's starting to pick a roll inside the arc too much. Or he needs a Carl Anthony Towns partner, and he's only had Jared Allen and Marquise Chris. To so you with. go one five roll. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, because D'Lo is getting to the rim better than I thought he would. Yeah, I mean he's big and he's long. I, I think but the conclusion I'm currently at is it can be better. He can he next year he can be. Top I really 10 like the idea of, a, of the one rolling on the five. Because Cat isn't a bad passer, mm-hmm. and Cat likes D'Lo. Cat would love the idea of feeding D'Lo regularly for, for layups and I, then faking the pass and stepping back for three. I mean, I can really see that action happening a lot. I think there could be a – they need to get creative because it's going to be their identity. And, as we again, as we were saying before, we learned in the Orlando game, the Orlando two-game series and the New Orleans, two, New Orleans two-game series – if you only got one bullet to fire and they know it's coming, Somebody they're going to dodge the armor it. on in that place. <laughs> exactly. Or they're going to dodge it and then they're going right. to be in a knife fight. And right. 
Um, that, that, I think that's just where this iteration of this team is, and, and then we see next year whether it's you know through a new roster or through whatever you know Cat can bring as a weapon that ultimately determines you know how potent how potent is this offensively, and it's it has to for it to work, it has to be so so potent offensively because the defense seen, is a long way to go. We, we've seen nothing. Yeah, we've seen nothing, nothing defensively. That's Britt Robson. Um, he has his Akogi. Column as you're listening to this, I'm sure it's maybe up, up now. I pray. <laughs> as is you not listen, a, not a live stream. It should. Be, it will be. It will be up as as you listen to that. Thank you uh, for doing this, Britt. Um, the Wolves are on a six game road trip. Yep. So I think the next time we're on in two weeks, they will just be back. Yes, exactly. How what is, what is your call on these six games? Oh and six, one and five. Uh, I will say one and five with the possibility of two and four. I do not I, think I'm they'll on go that. on six. I, I don't think they'll go on, on six either. Just I think because I think that they're better they on now the have the <laughs> – well, that is definitely true. That was Dilo one of the things Dilo that. said that, right. <laughs> but I agree with him. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think that there is something about that dynamic. And then the other thing is I think when you have two really good shooters from outside, you can beat anybody yep. on a given day. Yep. And that's what Roses thinks, and he's right. Yeah. No, I, I – and that's also what Daryl Morey thinks yes. for the playoff series. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, that's at Britt Robson. Check out his stuff uh, with John Krasinski at The Athletic. I'm Dane at Dane Moore MBA. I will have a story up on D'Angelo Russell. Uh, check that out at zonecoverage.com. Till next time, peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stops, yeah. Green and hot so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you're dancing like nobody else around, Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.